Our second reading from Scripture is from the letter of James to the church. I encourage you to follow it in your pew Bibles or your own Bibles if you have them. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 1011, 1011. James, chapter 1. I'm going to begin at verse 1 and I'll read to the end of verse 18. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. May God bless to us the reading of his word. And let's come before him in prayer and ask that he would speak to us through it. God, our Father, we praise you for your servant, James, and for the words that he has written for us. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit, who inspired him, that we may hear his call to be those who worship you, the one true God, with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. In Jesus' name we pray. 
อแมนคำว่าเดียวกันนะ
Elijah says to the, the, the people of Israel, how long will you continue wavering between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. But if Baal is God, serve him. But what you keep doing is swinging from one to another. So when you're in Jerusalem, you'll serve the Lord. But when you're back home, you'll serve the Asherah, one of the pagan goddesses. Or, or when, you're, when you want to win a battle, you'll ask the Lord God of Israel. But when you want your crops to grow and your cows to bear young, then you'll go and ask Baal because he's a fertility god. You're wavering between two opinions. And what that shows is that you are divided. Look how he describes it in verse 7 or verse 8. He is a double-minded man with divided loyalties, trusting God in part, but trusting other things at the same time. You can picture this uh, as a little with um, uh, what's going on with some English supermarkets back home. Um, we have a, a supermarket called Waitrose. I don't think you have it over here, uh, which is known for being where, uh, where the well-heeled like to shop. Uh, it's, uh, it's a middle-class supermarket. The, the food is nicely packaged. It's excellent quality. Uh, and uh, the decor is all very nice. And it's much more expensive. Uh, and Waitrose have built their business model uh, on the loyalty of the English middle classes uh, who will go there. But recently, their management has been uh, uh, greatly troubled to discover that the English middle classes are cheating on them. And it has turned out, and research has shown, that people who previously were faithful Waitrose shoppers are now going to Aldi or Aldi. <laughs> Uh, or at least there's some, they're going to Oldie for their kind of basic things, and they're only now going to Waitrose for the nice, special things. And, um, well, it's amusing, I think, with supermarkets. Um, but it is not amusing when we treat God like the English middle classes are apparently treating Waitrose. We are supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. That was in our first reading from Deuteronomy. Our whole being is made to do that. That is the purpose of our existence. But all the time we are diverting the loyalty due to God to something else. We are divided people. James pictures it like a wave of the sea that goes this way and that way and this way and that way and, and, and being split between the two. And it's not just that we're kind of divided. We're divided against what we are supposed to be. We're designed to worship God, but, but a big chunk of us is doing something else. And that means that we cannot be and we are not what we should be. Some children from our church were in our garden uh, a couple of weeks ago. One of them brought a, a rather good uh, a glider, kind of made of, of polystyrene, um, and, uh, and it flew very well. Apart from halfway through the afternoon, it suddenly stopped flying well and uh, would spectacularly nosedive every time it was thrown. It was only after the children had all left and I looked at the thing that I realized what had happened, uh, which is that it was... It was made so that the wings kind of slotted into the fuselage. And one of the children had clearly pulled the wings out, turned them upside down, 
and slotted them back in again the wrong way up. And I don't think you need to be an aeronautical engineer to know that upside-down wings do not work. The plane was divided against itself and could not do what it was designed to do. And that is what we, says James, are like. Double-minded, wavering between two opinions. Now, James goes on to give some other examples here. He gives uh, the example uh, in verse uh, 8, uh, verse 10 and 11, sorry, of, the, um, uh, uh, of trusting not in other gods, but in money, in riches. He uses Isaiah's language about how people fade away like shriveling grass clippings or a picked flower uh, just left out in the sun that will just uh, shrivel up. And he's not saying that riches fade away, although that is true, but rather that rich men fade away. Money cannot preserve your life. Yet we take the trust that we should be placing only in God and we place it instead in our bank accounts or our paychecks, and we are divided. And then there's a third way that he brings up, in some way that weighs the most important. I'm going to speak about this in rather more detail tonight, so do come again to the evening service. Uh, But for now, just look at verse 14, where James says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. You see, we are divided against ourselves. We do wrong, not because we don't realize it's wrong, but because there is a part of us that is pulling us away from what we should be doing, what the rest of us knows we should be doing. There is a a civil war going on inside of us. In other words, you and I and all human beings are not whole. We are not consistent. We do not have integrity. We are divided against ourselves. Now that is true of all humanity. It's one of the chief effects of sin to fracture us and break us into pieces. But it is still true of those who've turned to Christ. There is still sin inside us and we still allow it to lure our loyalties away from Christ. Now, I'm going to be a little bold and say that I think that actually we all know this. I think if we are honest, we all know that there are desires inside us to do things that we know are wrong. And there is a battle inside us to resist. And sometimes, perhaps often, we don't. Pornography, temper, gossip, coveting others' possessions. Even very simple things, I think, as children, we often, children, they they, they clearly know what is right, and yet all the time don't do what they know is right. But actually, we still do that as adults, don't we? There is a great gap down the middle of us. Many of us feel a, a huge gap between what we know we should be and what we know we are. Even if you don't feel that very keenly and you feel pretty confident about who you are, actually James won't let you off the hook. He will say, actually, maybe your problem's worse. 
Maybe it's because there's so much of you divided against God that you're now hardly noticing the parts of you that aren't. Perhaps you feel that what you are is so different from what God apparently expects of you that the tension is unbearable. We are divided. Now, what can we do? What can we do? Well, the answer is very simple. It's in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. This is my second major point of this sermon. God is undivided. God is undivided. God is absolute, perfect unity. It's actually there in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A servant of God? Which God? In the ancient world, there's many gods. But James doesn't need to say which God because there is only one God. He knows that. And he knows, if we're Christians, that we know that. Now, in the background of what, uh, of what um, James is saying here, it's kind of given away by, in verse 12, the phrase where he talks about what God has promised to those who love him. He is referring to the verse in Deuteronomy that was read, that here, O Israel, the Lord's, your God's, the Lord is one. Now, that definitely means that there is only one God. That's very important. But it means something more than that. It means that God himself is absolutely one. In himself, there are no divisions. There are no different tendencies. There are no tensions. There are no contradictions. God is perfectly united. And that is why we're to love him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. The undivided God requires undivided worshippers. And that idea underlies so much of what James is saying here. Look with me at verse 5, where James says, If you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously, he says, to all without reproach. Now, that word generously is a little hard to translate from Greek into English. Um, But literally, it means something like wholly or singly or unitedly or I don't think this is really a word but onely it's something like that 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 he he gives in a way that is perfectly consistent now that's a big contrast to us we're quite capable of giving in a way that is not at all consistent Uh, just before I left uh, to left home to fly to America my daughter who is age 14 um, said to me, Dad, can you please bring back some candy corn? Now, you, you can't buy candy corn in England. Uh, so I came with instructions to buy candy corn. Now, um, uh, I will now confess, I have bought some candy corn for her, and I will take it home. Um, but there's quite a lot of me that's pretty reluctant. <laughs> Basically because, what on earth do they make that stuff from? <laughs> In fact, I've been told after the first service, someone came to me and said, do you know why they don't sell it in England? It's because some of the ingredients are illegal in England. Um, I didn't know that, um, but that apparently is the case. Anyway, so, you know, I I have given in and I've told her that I I will give her some and I've bought it. But there will be part of me that thinks, 
I really hope that you eat this quickly and that it, you, know, you don't get any more because I can't believe this is very good for you. Now, we're very capable of giving with part of us, but having another part that is really very reluctant. We're very capable of that, aren't we? But God never gives like that. God gives wholly. He gives with all of his being. He gives undividedly. But actually, we need to go a little bit deeper than that. You see, it is not just that God is not divided. Rather, the Bible, and James here, uh, presents us with the truth that God cannot be divided. It's not just that all the parts of God agree. No, it's that God has no parts. Now, you need to pay attention to this because in a way this is probably the hardest thing to get your head around. Uh, in some ways one of the hardest things about all of God to get your head around but it is so wonderful it is worth doing. Think about this. If God gives wholly that means that he is all generosity. He is wholly generous but that raises a question. Isn't he also wholly loving? Isn't he wholly just, wholly powerful, wholly good, wholly truthful? And all of those things are true. How can he be 100% of all of those different things? The math doesn't work, does it? How can he be wholly these things? And the answer to that is that God is not lots of pieces joined together. Okay, he is not like a model built out of Legos. If you want to build a car out of Legos, you've got to find some wheels and some windows and some doors and some bricks to make the, make the, to make the hood and the trunk. And probably you want a little steering wheel to go inside. And you put all the pieces together and you've made your model. And I think we often think that God is like that. We have to get one Lego brick that is his justice and another which is his kindness and fix them together and then we get one which is his generosity and another which is his truthfulness and another which is his power and another which is his eternity. Do you see? And we kind of build it up to make our kind of uh, Lego model of God. But God is not like that. Because if he were, it would mean we could take any of those things away and he would still be God. And that is not the case. Change the picture a little bit to not a Lego model, but to a human being. Okay, well, well, if someone asks you who is preaching today, and you can say, well, he was called Matthew Roberts, and they'll say, who, who is he? And you say, well, I don't really know. He you know, had slightly gray hair and a wore glasses and slightly bad taste in neckties and uh, spoke with a funny English accent. And, um, and those are all true. But you see, the thing is, you could take any of those one things away from me. You probably struggle to take the accent away, I guess. But, but you, you could take any of those things away from me and I would still be me. But that is not true of God. God doesn't have his attributes. He is them. God doesn't have truth and generosity and justice. He is truth and generosity and justice. And he is every single one of those things, wholly through and through, 
all at the same time. They're not even different things about God. They are one thing. We only have to use different words about them because our minds are so much smaller than God's that we we have to use different words to try and capture all of these different things about God's. But God in himself is totally, perfectly one. There are no divisions in God. There cannot be any divisions in God. He is perfect integrity, wholeness, completeness, consistency. Now, this has many wonderful implications for us. Let me outline a few of them. You never encounter part of God. If you come and introduce yourself to me, as I hope many of you will afterwards, I look forward to meeting you, met some of you already, Um, uh, then I hope that you will learn a little bit about me and I about you, but but we will only have met a part of each other. There'll be huge uh, huge parts of us that we've not met. I won't have time to tell you everything about me and nor you about uh, nor, nor you about you. Um, and that's how we are. But it is never the case with God that we only meet part of him. If you have met God in Jesus Christ, you have met the whole of God. It also means this. It means that God has no hidden dark parts of his character. There's nothing unpleasant lurking behind his face. We don't need to fear that there are things about God he is keeping from us or hiding from us. No, as he presents himself to us in all his generosity, goodness, wisdom, truth, holiness, power, he is giving us himself. His integrity is absolute. He never misleads. He never deceives. He never betrays. He is never conflicted. And that means that when God is generous, as he wholly is, he doesn't just give things about himself. He gives himself That's why in verse 17, towards the end of our reading, we're told, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due due to change. You see two things there? All goodness originates from God. Because he is the pure source, the undivided, utterly consistent source of goodness, everything comes from him. And that leads to another wonderful thing about this, which is that there is no variation in him, and therefore there can never be any variation about him. He will not change, and he cannot change. The God who speaks to us tomorrow will be the same God whom we have heard from today. And the word that he spoke yesterday is a word that he will absolutely be true to today. God is undivided. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. Now, if you are sick of the divisions that we meet in this world, that is the lack of integrity that we encounter all the time, sick of finding that people and places and things and organizations are not what they seem to be, if you long to find real integrity, and solid, unchanging, whole and consistent truth, then you need to come to the living God 
for he is undivided. I think it's fascinating how much people in our age long for authenticity, to be what you really are. You won't find that anywhere other than in the one who is truly undivided. God is undivided. So what does that mean for us who are divided people inside ourselves? Well, this is my third and final point. In Christ Jesus, the undivided God will make you whole. In Christ, the undivided God will make you whole. We are called to worship the one God, the God who is one, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with every part of us united in serving him. And and I hope you can now see why. It is because God is utterly one that his worshippers must worship him with total unity and integrity. And yet we are a fractured people who don't do that. But here is the good news. God sent his son, who is perfectly one with him, who shares the absolutely undivided unity of the one true God. God sent his son to put us back together. And that is what James is calling us to in this letter. Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why would we rejoice in trials? Because it leads to steadfastness. Verse 4, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. That is what God wants for us. Now, James only mentions Jesus by name twice in this letter, but he underlies the whole of it. Jesus has come to bring us to be truly reunited people, people who are joined back together. That's what Christ is doing for us. Now, tonight I shall speak about particularly how that works in to do with the issue of temptations, uh, which James speaks about uh, uh, in, in verses 12 to 15. So I won't dwell on that now. But the key thing here is that we can go to God and he will give singly, wholly, generously. You lack wisdom, go and ask God and he will do it for you. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect, every complete gift is from above. God gives his integrity to those who come to him. Indeed, verse 18 puts it in the most wonderful way. Of his own will, he has brought us forth by the word of truth. Brought us forth is, a, is the language of childbirth. James is picking up what the Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus about. You need to be born again to enter the kingdom uh, of heaven. And, and uh, what, what Christ has done for us and God has done for us in Christ his son is to, to remake us so radically like it's we've been reborn. Reborn as whole people that we should be, as he said, a kind of first fruits of his creatures, that the, the unity which is utterly characteristic of God is something that he will give to us. Now, and how does this work? Well, it's the, it's the work of Christ. Sin has divided us in half. 
Sin has turned us against our maker, turned the wings upside down, if you like. Sin has so uh, messed us up inside that we are turned against God and therefore turned against our own design and we are divided. But, but Jesus has come to put us right. You could think of it like this. My guess is uh, many, many of us on your mobile phone will have a screen protector, a very thin piece of glass or plastic stuck to it to protect the screen. Uh, I have one on mine, and I'm going to guess probably 50% of us at least that that protector on the screen has got a big crack down the middle of it. <laughs> mine certainly does. Um, and, uh, and why is that? Okay, the idea is it's supposed to be stuck so closely to the perfectly flat glass screen that the two are indistinguishable. And you can't even see the protector that's on there. And yet, of course, as you use it, you catch the edge of it or you give it a bang and it pulls away from the screen, but part of it does and it ends up with a big crack down the middle. And now you've got half that's stuck and half that's not and it's divided. As is. And, and what does it need? It needs to be reunited and stuck back onto the screen. Now, of course, that's impossible. So what we actually do is we peel it off and throw away and get a new one, usually after uh, several months or years of telling ourselves that we should get round to doing that. But Christ has come with power not to throw us away and replace us with better people who are united as we should be and united to God. Rather, he has come with the power of his blood given to us by the power of the Spirit to remake us as new people, to remake us as whole people, to remake us as people who are so bound to the God who is undivided that we too are remade as whole, consistent, integral people. Now, the baptism we've witnessed this morning is a wonderful demonstration of that. For baptism is a sign that this child, in this case, could of course be an adult, uh, has been born as someone who is already broken in size. And yet God in his mercy has sent Christ to make us reborn and joined to him. We are baptized to be joined to Jesus who was baptized for us. It is a sign of being remade, reborn. Now, how does Jesus do it? He does it by forgiving our sins. He's taken the judgment that our sins deserve on his shoulders and to put to death what is against God in us. To take all of the corruption and the fracturing of our nature, take it to the grave and by the power of the Holy Spirit to raise us to new life in union with the perfect and undivided Son of God. Let me then end by giving two things that we should take away from this. Let me first address you if you yourself are not a Christian, or perhaps if you are not sure. I'm guessing at a congregation this side, there'll be size, there'll be a number of you who are visiting. Maybe church is new to you, maybe Christianity is new to you. That the desire for wholeness, for integrity, for consistency is one that we all have. But the only way to find it, the only place where we will meet it is in 
the one true God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And the only way that we ourselves can find the unity for which we long is if we come to the Lord Jesus and ask him in his great mercy and in the power of his death and resurrection to remake us as whole people, united to the living God, loving him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Now, if you already are a Christian, which of course I guess will be the majority of us here this morning, the Christian life is about God shining his light again and again on the many ways in which we are still divided. The many parts of us that are still trying to pull away from him. The many ways in which we're still double-minded. And so the challenge to us is every time that God does that, and he will do it week by week as we come to church, and day by day if we read the scriptures ourselves, Every time we realize, here is another thing, here's another part of me which is divided against God, well, resolve now that you will bring that to Christ and say, Lord, forgive me, and Lord, remake me as someone who wholly loves and worships you. God is undivided. And he wants to make you undivided too. Shall we pray? God, our Father, we praise you that you are perfection in every way. That you are perfectly one, consistent and good, with no variation or shadow due to change in your whole being, the most pure goodness, mercy, justice, truth, holiness. And we praise you that you have not cast us off for being like waves of the sea, divided between our loyalty to you and to other things, luring and enticing ourselves to do what We know ourselves is wrong. But in your mercy, you have shown us not wrath, but brought us redemption. And so, Father God, we pray that by the power of your Spirit and the glorious work of the Lord Jesus who died for us, you would take the divisions inside us and our split loyalties and the contradictions which we know are there and that you would heal them and teach us and train us and change us and transform us that we may love you, the God who is one with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.